All right. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the last part of John chapter 20. Last week, we saw Jesus resurrected and reveal himself first to Mary and then the 10 disciples on Sunday, the day of his resurrection. Now, Thomas wasn't present with them and Judas killed himself. That's why there's only 10. So this week we're going to continue with chapter 20 and see the commissioning or sending of the disciples. They're going to have to wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit before they could start the ministry that Jesus had commissioned them with. We will finish by having a look at how what Christ has done for us has changed our relationship with the Father. So if you've got your Bibles, we'll start reading from verse 19 in John chapter 20. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst, and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So just before we start, it's interesting, it says with Thomas, Jesus now has a glorified body and he still has the holes in his wrist or hand where the nails went through and he still has a hole in his side where the spear went through. So in Revelation it talks about we see Jesus as a lamb who's been slain. So Jesus will have these scars for all eternity and it will be reminding us of what he's done for us. So let's start at verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So, does that mean that we have the power to forgive sins? I don't think so. So we're going to have a look at this because some churches like the Catholic Church have used this to build a a doctrine which I don't believe is correct. So in Mark chapter 2, when Jesus pronounced forgiveness to the paralyzed man, remember he was let down to the roof? 
the Pharisees were aghast. They were saying, only God has the right to forgive sin. And they were right, because only God can forgive. Okay, Because who have we offended? God, who gave the law, right? We offended God. So even when we hurt each other, we're still offending God, because God is the one who made that person. He owns that person. So basically, going right to the point, this verse doesn't mean that we can forgive sins, but it does mean that as his ambassadors, we do proclaim forgiveness of sins. So if someone says, well, I don't feel forgiven, and they're a Christian, you can say to them, you can comfort them, according to the word of God, if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ's work on the cross, your sin is gone. And then someone else might come along and say, well, I don't need Jesus, I'm into meditation, I'm good enough. Then it's our responsibility to say to them, your sin remains because only the blood of Jesus can wash it away. So that's our message to people. It's worth taking the time, I think, to look at one of the big differences between the Catholic and Protestant doctrines. And it's the role of the clergy or pastor, minister, priest, whatever you want to call it. And I just got a what I think is a really great quote from a guy called Boyce. It says, On the basis of this text and some others, the Roman Church has built its doctrine of a special priesthood to whom has been committed the power of absolution of sin. In normal practice, this authority is exercised through the confessional. Catholics would acknowledge that in the ultimate analysis, it is God who forgives sin and that this is on the basis of Christ's death. But they would add that God does so in response to the action of the priest, so that where the priest absolves, God forgives, and where the priest does not absolve, God allows the sins and judgment to remain. Protestants maintain that this is all backward. What happens is that God first forgives, then on the basis of that forgiveness, believers, both clergy and laymen, that's all believers, proclaim that this is the truth. The issues are the way in which forgiveness of sins comes to men and women, the role of laymen and clergy, and the nature of the Great Commission with which all this is inseparably connected. And the main point in his quote is this last sentence, It is the difference between absolution and proclamation, between the priesthood of the Roman Church and the priesthood of all believers in Protestantism. So, the Catholic Church says, unless you go see the priest, you can't be forgiven, where the Protestant Church says, you just need to go to Jesus. He is the high priest. Now, when you're interpreting Scripture, what are some of the things you need to think about? Well, you need to get the context and compare it to other scriptures. So there's no instance in any of the New Testament books of any apostle taking on himself the authority to absolve or pardon anyone. That's the first thing. And so we don't want to look at this verse in isolation. So to interpret this text correctly, we need to ask what Jesus meant by it and what the disciples understood him to be saying. So a question we can ask is, did the apostles understand Christ to be imparting to them the authority to forgive sins? And I don't think so. And I'm going to show you why. Because if they did, they would have used this gift, this, these powers that God had given them, 
but they don't. And I want to give you some examples. So the first one is Acts 10.43. It's Peter talking, and he says to Cornelius, All the prophets testify about him, Jesus, that everyone who believes in him, Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Not through any priest, but through his name. So three times here, Peter repeats that the remission of sins is in Christ and by Christ and not by any priest or apostle. And then we go to Paul in Acts 13.38, and that says, Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Do you notice that, what Paul said? We are here to proclaim. We're here to tell you that forgiveness is available. We're not here to forgive you, but to tell you that forgiveness is available. So Paul is pointing to Christ alone as the remitter of our sin debt or forgiver of our sins. And what the apostles did in these and other instances is preach the gospel, declaring with authority the terms on which God forgives sins, which is on the basis of Christ's death and through faith in him alone. And John Stott says the apostles understood that the authority the risen Lord had given them was the authority of a preacher and not that of a priest, as far as forgiving sins go. Now we can also look at what the other Gospels record at what Jesus said at this time. So Luke uh, 24, 46 to 48, it says, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of all these things. So, again, repentance and forgiveness will be preached. Not given, but preached. So, looking at all the verses we just read, and there's, there's lots more, in none of these texts is anyone authorized to remit sins, to forgive sins. Instead, we're all commissioned to preach it to preach forgiveness on the condition of repentance and faith. Now, just put this in perspective. Imagine that certain priests or you know leaders in the church had the power to forgive sins. You had to go through them. You've sinned three times in the last week, and, and to be forgiven, you've got to come and see me and say, Dave, I've got to confess some sins to you. Would you? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So there's only one high priest that we need to go f- for forgiveness, and that is Jesus, the Messiah, the Saviour of the world. Now, in the Old Testament, it was only one man who could bring about forgiveness of sins, or atonement, and that was the high priest on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, and that only lasted for a year. It wasn't the taking away of sins, it was a covering of sins back then. And as described in the book of Hebrews, now, under the new covenant, Jesus is the new high priest. Okay, He has replaced all those human high priests who could only present a sacrifice of cows and goats and sheep. But Jesus is different. We read in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That means he paid our debt. And another one in Hebrews Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it's because of what Jesus has done that we can now come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy, to receive forgiveness. And one more from Hebrews. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of his creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And verse 15 is a key verse here. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions or sins under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now, what does a mediator do? He reconciles two enemies together. So Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. He's reconciling man and God. We go to Jesus to be reconciled to God, not to a priest. Now, how many mediators are there? Well, you might know this verse. First Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 3, it says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ, and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So two things here. Paul doesn't say he was appointed as a forgiver of sins, but rather a preacher of the truth that Jesus reconciles man to God. There is only one mediator, there's only one person you need to go to to have your sins forgiven, and that's Jesus. Now, I want to apply this to us, okay? So we now know the truth that what the Catholic Church does is wrong, according to the Scriptures. Now, the application for us today, and so if you forgive the sins of any, I've got a quote from Guzik. Jesus gives his disciples authority to announce forgiveness and to warn of guilt as authorized by the Holy Spirit. This lays down the duty of the church to proclaim forgiveness to the penitent believer and the duty of the church to warn the unbeliever that they are in danger of forfeiting the mercy of God. End of quote. So, like Ezekiel, we are God's watchmen to warn people of the judgment to come. It's the great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. So I'm just going to read a few verses from Ezekiel and then come back to the New Testament and realize that these verses also apply to us. It says, Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 to 21, it says, Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for Israel. Whenever you receive a message from me, 
warn people immediately. If I warn the wicked, saying you are under the penalty of death, but you fail to deliver the warning, they will die in their sins, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. If you warn them, and they refuse to repent and keep on sinning, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself because you obeyed me. If righteous people turn away from their righteous behaviour and ignore the obstacles I put in their way, they will die. And if you do not warn them, they will die in their sins. None of their righteous acts will be remembered, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn righteous people not to sin, and they listen to you and do not sin, they will live, and you will have saved yourself too. So you think, well, that's Ezekiel in the Old Testament, but let's go to Acts and see what Paul says at the end of his life. So it's Acts chapter 20, verses 26 to 27. And it says, I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. And it's the New Living. And from the New King James it says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Strong words, eh? So as Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ, and our message is very serious, very important. We are to proclaim forgiveness. We are to preach forgiveness and repentance of sins. So let's go to verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. Now, what does Galatians 6 1 say? It says that those who are spiritual are to restore those who are overtaken in their faults. And so these guys have seen the Lord, and they're reaching out to Thomas and trying to bring him up to speed. They're saying, Hey, Thomas, Jesus is resurrected. He's alive. Thomas is going, nah. <laughs> you remember the, the women came in and they told the disciples, not just the ten, but others as well, Jesus is alive, and they said, nah. And the, the guys on the road to Emmaus, they came back and they told them, well, we've seen Jesus, and they say, nah. And then Jesus, in the, I think it's Luke, he rebukes them for their unbelief. Right, verse 25, the second part. So he said to them, Unless, this is Thomas speaking, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I would not believe. Now, what do you say to people who say, I need to see it to believe it? Very good. That's my first thing here. Do you believe that you have a brain? Okay. Or do you believe in the wind? Or another good one is... Do you believe in radio waves? So we can be completely unaware of the presence of radio waves, but if we have an antenna and a radio and we tune into the right frequency, then we can hear the message being sent over the radio waves. So it's not a matter of seeing, but believing. Now, as Christians, we live by faith, but it's not a blind faith. It's a reasonable and logical faith based on the truth of the resurrection, the promises of God, Fulfilled prophecy, science, and archaeology. So, as Christians, our radios have been turned on and tuned in, and we experience a relationship with God that unbelievers are blind to. So, they cannot see. Before we're saved, we cannot see. 
we first have to believe and then we see. And that's just the way it works. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. So, do not be unbelieving, but believing. This is a command, and it applies to us as well. He's telling him, as to commanding him to cease his unbelief and to start believing. Now, for us, we can wallow in doubt and unbelief. We can be complaining, unhappy, ungrateful, unfulfilled. Or we can choose to believe in the promises of God to have a different, heavenly, eternal, God-can-do-anything perspective and so experience the abundance of peace and joy and victory over sin that God wants for us and has provided for us. Verse 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Wow. If there was a evidence for the deity of Christ, that's right here. Okay. Now think about this. When Peter went into the house of Cornelius, Cornelius fell at his feet. What did Peter do? He told him to stand up. I'm a man also. Acts 10.26. What about Paul in Lystra? Healed this guy. And the people started worshipping Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas ripped their clothes and said, Stop, we are men of like passions. Acts 14.15 What about angels? Can they receive worship? When John fell down before an angel, the angel said, Don't do that. In Revelation 22 verse 9, Paul, Peter and the angel all refused to be worshipped. So regardless of what the cults say, Jesus accepted this proclamation of deity for one reason, and that is, he's God. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, you believe because you've seen, said Jesus, but blessed, happy are those with an imagination, with vision, with faith, to see what is not physically visible or even humanly possible. Faith sees what the man who lacks faith never does. It's a whole different dimension and an entirely different perspective. So don't be a Thomas. Trust God, accept what he says, and believe. Verse 30, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So there were many more miracles and things done and said. But John has handpicked what he's put in the book of John to help people believe. That we might truly believe and go on believing in him. And John doesn't want us just to know more, but he wants us to experience this new life, to have life in his name. So knowing and believing are two very different things. He wants us to have life in his name, not just knowledge of who God is, but life in his name. And I don't think you can talk about the resurrection without talking about these next verses. So is there evidence for the resurrection in the scriptures? Yes. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8. This is Paul talking. 
And he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. So what's this? It's most important and it's also been passed on to me. So this is from very, very early on. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So this was a written and oral tradition that had been handed down very early on. So the disciples, this was what they were told people. I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died and he rose again. Now, to finish off, I'd like to go back to verse 17. So John chapter 20 verse 17 says, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. So, don't cling to me, Mary, was Jesus' response, because I have not yet ascended. Now, why did he say this? It was an interesting question. Why did Jesus not want Mary to cling to him? And I think there's an important lesson for us here, an application for us. I think Jesus is saying, Mary, my mission was to come to earth to die for your sins, The purpose of my coming was to provide reconciliation, remember he's a mediator, so that you and all who believe could be reconciled to the Father and have relationship with him. Therefore, don't cling to me. Now, by default, once we receive forgiveness, we are also made right to Jesus and the Spirit. But the focus of our relationship is with the Father. So I've got some verses from the New Testament, four quick ones. They're on the screen there. And just so you can see that Jesus is seeking to point us to the Father, just as the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus, Jesus points people to the Father. So the first verse is John 16.23. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, or according to my character, he will give you. So Jesus is saying, the day is going to come when you're not going to be talking to me, you're going to be talking to the Father. Matthew eighteen nineteen. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So who should we be asking? The Father. In John fourteen twenty three, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make a home with him. So you've probably heard this old phrase, we pray to the Father by the Spirit through the Son. So the Holy Spirit helps us to know how we should pray. We pray through the Son, because He is the channel, He is the mediator. He is the one who has provided access to the Father. But the Father is the person we are actually talking to. 
What about the Lord's Prayer? It's not, you know, dear Jesus, it's our Father who art in heaven. And there's another aspect to this. In 2 Corinthians 5.16, the second half of that verse, I think it helps us to understand why Jesus didn't want Mary to cling to him or to continue to cling to him. It says, Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Think about John the Apostle. When he was with Jesus at the table, he leaned against his bosom, John 13.23. But when John saw Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, he fell at his feet as dead. So there's a different relationship now. Christ is glorified. So that was Revelation 1.17. So there is an important application here regarding where we find an ultimate source of strength, grace, and fulfillment. Now, <laughs> I think it's in our human nature to be Klingons, to hold on to something, to get our fulfillment from that something. It could be a job, it could be a person, it could be anything, it could be money even. But, for example... A wife will cling to her husband, hoping she might find fulfillment in him. And the tighter she clings to him, the more he backs away. And so she clings harder, holds on tighter, and he backs away further. Or the husband clings to his wife, hoping to find satisfaction in her. But feeling used and smothered, she backs away. Husbands and wives say, If you're not going to fulfill me, I'll find someone who will. If you're not going to satisfy me, I'll find someone who can. And it happens over and over again. We cling, but we never find what we want. We're never fully satisfied. And inevitably, the results are divorce, depression, and destruction. Not even children are exempt. What do the books say? Some of these counselling books. Even the Christian bookshop. If you don't meet the needs of your daughter, so the best-selling books, she'll try and fill them in someone else. And so we think that we've got to make sure our kids cling to us and receive from us. Otherwise, who knows what will happen to them. But Jesus comes in an entirely different manner to Mary. And he's saying, no, don't cling to me. You've got to see the big picture. It's called reconciliation between you and the Father. And that's why I came, to die for your sins, to pay the price for your iniquity, so that you won't have to cling to your husband or wife, son or daughter, brother or sister, friend, pastor, or even the church. And I've got a quote from John Coulson. Who clings to the pastor, the boss, a friend, a child, or a parent, or a so-called lover on the side? People who are insecure. And the reason they are insecure is because they don't understand that what they really need is, like Adam and Eve, to walk with God in the cool of the day. You see, any of you who say, this afternoon I'm going to turn off my phone, I'm going to turn off the TV, I'm not going to cling to my husband or wife, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to talk to my father. I'm going to tell him the things that are troubling me. To laugh with him about a sight we might see. Look at the sky and its beauty. Those people will come back with a sparkle in their eye and a peace in their heart. They won't be clinging to the first person they see. They won't be suffocating the people around them or be disappointed in the ones they love. So, who is the most secure person in the universe? God. God is the most secure person in the universe. Did you know that God doesn't need you? He loves you, but he doesn't need you. He likes you, but he doesn't need you. God has got by for all eternity, zillions of years, whatever that is, without us. 
totally content because the Father, Son and Spirit fulfilled one another and loved one another. But part of God's plan was to show another side of his character, grace and mercy to the entire universe. And to do that requires sinners like you and me. There are those who teach that God needs you. No, he doesn't. We can find in God strength, joy and love, but he doesn't smother us. He doesn't need us. He's quite happy all by himself, but he's chosen to demonstrate his love to us. So the real issue for all of us when we're feeling insecure and we're looking to someone else or something else to try and feel secure, to hold on to something, the real issue is just a lack of spending time with the Father. Because a person who spends time with the Father would not have dependent characteristics. When you get rid of the clinging, relationships will take on maturity, depth and solidity. But it doesn't happen by psychology or 12-stepping your way out. It comes by doing the right thing, walking with the Father. And that is where you will find security. So, yes, we do need to care and share. We need to interact with one another. But we mustn't cling because the sad thing about clinging is that it drives people away. And the more they back away, the more we want to cling. It's a cycle that can only be broken by spending time with the Father. But you can't talk to the Father, walk with the Father, or receive security from the Father until you realize what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says, All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. So what was the Father's goal in everything that he's done? It's a gift from God. Jesus was a gift from God. He brought us back to himself through Christ. So God is holy and beautiful, but because of our sin, we couldn't relate to him or be one with him. So Jesus Christ came to bridge the gap, to die for our sin so that we might be forgiven and have fellowship with the Father anytime he want. And 2 Corinthians 5.18, the second part says, And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So the final application here is not only can we come freely to the Father because we have been reconciled to him through Jesus, but we are to reconcile others to the Father as well. So as parents, our ministry is not to reconcile our kids to ourselves, to get them to depend on us or look to us, Our ministry ultimately is to reconcile our kids with the Father. So if we are thinking, I'm going to meet their needs, I'm always going to be there for them, eventually they'll rebel because eventually we'll let them down. But if you are a minister of reconciliation, we'll say, I want my kids to grow up knowing God. I know I have failings and shortcomings as a dad or a mum brother, sister, but the Heavenly Father will never let them down. Never. Therefore, I don't really care about what they think about me as much as I care about them being one with God. So our kids come to us and they say, Dad, can you do this for me? And sometimes the right answer could be to say, no, why don't you pray about it and see what God does? Instead of like being thinking you have to do everything for them. It's important to teach our kids to rely upon the Lord because we're not going to always be there for them. We need to help them to have an independent relationship with the Lord. We need to teach them to pray, to walk with God, to know the Lord. So as parents, we begin the ministry of reconciliation. 
don't cling to me, Jesus lovingly says to Mary, I go to the Father. So I pray that God will give us that understanding as well, that we can tell our kids, don't cling to me, I love you, but if you're going to be secure, if you're going to be complete, you need to have a relationship with the Father. So I thought that was a uh, a good place to stop and a good thought to focus on as we take communion now. The Father, through Jesus, has reconciled us to himself. And it's our job, Second Corinthians 5.18, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him, especially our kids. So Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the beautiful opportunity that we have to know you and to love you and to spend time with you and to experience intimacy with you. Lord, help us not to take that for granted. Help us to always, no matter what it might cost us for our tiredness or time or other things, to make sure that we spend time with you. Lord, because you should be the most important part of our lives. Lord, I pray that you will be the center of our lives and that everything we do will be to please you. And Lord, that we'd be focusing and working hard making spending time with you a priority so that we can grow in our relationship with you. And as we do that, then our relationships with others will, be, will just grow because the more we grow to be like you, the more we grow closer to you, the more we grow closer to our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And the more we have to give because we've ever first received from you. So we just pray that you'll help us to understand that. Lord, thank you for the blood that was shed and the body that was broken for us. As we take communion now, help us just to reflect on everything you've done. We've talked about the resurrection, and we just thank you for the fact, Lord, the undisputable fact of the resurrection, demonstrating that the price has been paid. It was sufficient. You emerged alive from the tomb, and our sins are forgiven. So we just praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.